So we're going to lift up this song now. And uh, this song is great because we can all sing it. If you are in the valley tonight, and if you are hurting and lost tonight, this song is for you. It's a song to ask God for hope. It's a song to ask God for meaning and guidance. But if you are on the mountaintop tonight, this song is for you. It's a song to just thank God and celebrate. So wherever you are right now on the journey, just, just sing with us.
sing that. Let's sing with every blessing you pour out. Every blessing you pour out, when the darkness closes in, Lord, still I will say, Blessed be the you to prepare our hearts for the word of God tonight, for your word that is unchanging, even when all else is. And so, God, we ask for a blessing upon James Michael and let his words just flow from your spirit, not from his will. So we come here not just for songs and not just for dancing and for friendly faces, but we come to receive what you would have us So I give you this night in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Who thought that uh, they did a good job just now? All right. Yeah. I really like that last song we sang because that's one of the few Christian songs that's not about being happy. It's about, like, Lord, I'm really going through junk, but I'm going to praise you anyway. And I think that's great. It has nothing to do with the message tonight, but I think it's great. Uh, Fruit of the Spirit. That's what we're in. For those of you that don't know, I'm James Michael Smith, uh, JM for short, if you want to do that, if you're lazy. Uh, but no, I get, I'm the pastor of discipleship here, and I oversee the small groups and the adult education. and have the privilege of being here to preach tonight. Uh, before I preach, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to look at this topic. So let's pray. God, I pray that you would be blessed by our worship and by our, um, our desire to come and learn about you. I pray that we would lay ourselves open before your word, uh, that we would sit at your feet, and that whatever I would have to say would reflect you. Lord, thank you for all the fruit of the Spirit that you make evident in our lives, and we pray that we bear much more as we grow closer to you. Be with us now and, and bless this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so last week we learned about the fruit of the Spirit. Does anybody remember the first fruit of the Spirit? That's, that was pitiful. Does anybody remember the last fruit? What was it? First? Love, exactly. And when I uh, was given the task of preaching on love, I didn't want to preach a sermon on love because my initial reaction, like some of you in here, not all of you, but some of you, when you hear love, you just think Hallmark cards and little, you know, Jane Austen novels and all of the things that just really don't speak to me. And so I was like, oh, can I preach one on joy or something else? And, uh, and that was one of the things in preparing for this message that I figured, God, I think you do want me to teach this precisely because I don't want to speak about love. And when I was getting the message ready, it was not because that there's anything wrong with love, but it was because our English word love means nothing. You know, like we love ice cream. We love sleeping in. We love our spouse. 
Those, just, those aren't even on the same level. Our love, word love just means anything that we want. And so what I thought about was, well, let's look at what Scripture says about love and the different words it uses. But that's been done before, and, and it's been, uh, a lot has been made about the different words in the Bible, love, the different Greek words. And, and I didn't really have a passion to speak about that because it still was just describing something. And I wanted to get into more like why is love so important? What is it? Really, what is it at the heart? Why is it important? Um, why is it a fruit of the Spirit? And why is it listed first? Now, every time somebody preaches on love or speaks on love, they usually go to the same passage, which is 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and it's up on the screen. Um, and, and I do want to look at that, but this is only going to be a setup to where we're really going, the passage that really spoke to my heart more so than this, and we'll come back to this one at the end. So if you have a Bible, there's one in front of you if you'd like, or you can follow along on the screen. But 1 Corinthians chapter 13 says, Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Now, how many of you have heard this preached, this passage preached or read before? Right? Where have you heard it read? Weddings. At weddings. Right. This is the wedding verse. Did you notice? Well, you didn't notice because we didn't read. If you read the context around this passage, there's absolutely nothing about a wedding in this. <laughs> nothing. Paul's not even mentioning weddings in the whole chapter. This love is not about love for a husband and a wife, or boyfriend and girlfriend, or fiance. This love is about love between me and every single person sitting here, and between you and every single person sitting around you. Paul's writing this, this is the kind of love that is to characterize the church, just as the church, not as husband and wife, not as boyfriend and girlfriend, none of that, but just the church. We're going to come back to it, but... What the passage that really got to my heart this week and, and in preparing, I couldn't stay away from it. The Corinthians passage, okay, it tells you what love is, and, and it sounds nice, and, but there's, there should be a foundation. Why? why? Why should we love? Why is love so important? We'll come back to what it is, but the reason love's important is a, well, it's a big reason. It's the main reason. It's because love is who God is. Um, look at this. There's a passage in 1 John, and that's where we're going to go. This is a long one. Uh, this is just kind of an excerpt, and I'm, I'm reading from chapter, in chapter 4 of 1 John through verse 21. 1 John, just so you know, 1 John's a little book back in the end of the New Testament, right before Revelation. It's a little letter. It was written by, some believe it was Jesus' disciple, John. Some believe it was uh, his disciple or his follower, Lazarus. Other people say it was an anonymous John. Nobody knows exactly, but whoever wrote it, they've been known as the apostle of love. Because the word love is mentioned over 50 times, and the book is only five chapters long. So at least 10 times per chapter, on average, you find the word love. So if you really want to know what love's about, 1 John is the book to go to. And in there, I came across this passage, and it's always just burdened me when I've read it, because John is just, man, black and white. You know, he just says it right up front. Look at what he says. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. Whoever does not love does not know God, 
This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. In this way, love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment because in this world, we are like him. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Did you catch in there that love is not an added bonus to the Christian life or a gift that you may be good at or not good at or something extra or optional? John just straight up said, anyone who doesn't love doesn't know God. And if they say they know God but they aren't living in love, they're lying. That's kind of tough. Whoa, this is the love talk. This is supposed to be fuzzy and happy and cute. No, John's like, "Uh uh-uh. And did you also notice in this passage and in the Corinthians passage that love is never spoken of as a feeling? Did you guys say that? We'll come back at the 1 Corinthians later. It's not described as a feeling, how you feel. Sentimentality, all of that stuff. That's, That's not described. The way John says, oh, you don't know what love is? Love is that God sent his only son to die for our sins. That is where our concept of love comes from. And then everything that we think about love is based on that and extrapolated from Jesus and what he did for us. And so that has some profound implications. Um, The statement, God is love, this is one that is always kind of, it, it seems kind of sappy, like God is love. And some people have even reversed it to mean love is God. So as long as I'm loving, I'm showing, you know, I'm from the Lord. And that's not what Scripture's saying. It's saying that God, his nature is love. Who he is, is love. This poses an interesting problem when we start thinking about God, and it did for the early church. Because the early church would think, okay, wait, God is one. That's what Scripture has always declared. Every faithful Jewish man, woman, and child from as early as they could talk would wake up every morning and say, Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. But for God to be love, there has to be more than one. Because in order for there to really be love, there has to be the one who's loving, the one who's receiving the love, and the act of love itself between them. And this had profound implications in the early church for how people came to see, wait a minute, God is one, but God's also relationship. God is in relationship with himself. And in order for that to be, there has to be a a multiplicity. There has to be a, a, a threeness in one, a triune nature, a trinity. 
And that's how the doctrine of the Trinity, of God's, the three persons, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that's how that whole thing started to come about, is people saying, wait a minute, what are the implications for God being love? And so when we realize that love is not only a command, and it's not only a gift and a fruit of the Spirit and, and a nice thing, but it's actually the very nature of God, then that ups the stakes a lot. Because as Christians, those of you in here that are Christians, you have basically said, I am giving myself to the Lord, and I'm going to be like Jesus. And Jesus was the perfect representation of the Father in human form. And so our role then is to be Jesus. Did you catch in 1 John where it says, we are like him in this world, and God can't be seen, but we can. We are actually built, created, brought together to reflect the love of God, his very nature, who God is, to make him known to everybody who doesn't know him. And the primary characteristic that we're to use because it's his primary characteristic of his nature is love. And so love is not a sappy, sentimental feeling. It's not, those of you that were sitting in here before, uh, you were listening to the interesting song selection that was playing while you were coming in. Anybody remember? Righteous Brothers, Barry White, Tina Turner. Uh, some of you were like, what kind of church is this? Well, it, those were all love songs. And that was kind of the, you know, if you're really paying attention. Uh, they were all these love songs. And, and a lot of them just contained some sappy, dumb lyrics. Uh, about love just being trivialized and it's just this emotion and it's how I feel and, uh, and some of them are like, what's love got to do? You know, Tina Turner, like, oh, who needs that? Um, but love is so much more. Love is the character of God, active among us, in us, within us. And if we don't have love, we don't have God. Not if we don't show love, um, God gets mad and says, I don't want to have anything to do with you. But if we don't show love, what we're showing is that we aren't letting God live through us. Because love is us just basically opening ourselves to others and saying, I'm going to look at you how God looks at you. I'm going to treat you how God would treat you. And I'm not going to expect anything in return. Love is totally self-sacrificing. It's totally giving. That's why it pointed to the cross, because that is the perfect example, is that God emptied himself, took on human skin, came down and let humanity put him to death. That was love. The implications for that are... We could spend a whole series just on love, and, and thankfully you won't have to put up with me for a whole series just for the rest of this message. But the implications for that are astounding. When Jesus was asked by a religious leader right before he was going to die, when he was in Jerusalem, he was going to celebrate Passover, everybody was crowding around, they were sending, uh, hitting him with all these questions and arguments and debates, and somebody came up and they said, okay, Rabbi, what's the greatest commandment? Because they were talking about in the, in the Old Testament, what we know is the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, there's about 613 actual commands. And there were a lot of disputes and debates among rabbis during Jesus' time, which was the most important? Like just within the Ten Commandments, which one's the most important? Well, Jesus answered, and his answer was brilliant. He said, the most important is real simple. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You will love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. In these two, all of the law and the prophets are combined. So Jesus took the whole 613, all of it, he says, you know what, it's really, it's really just 613 outworkings of two principles, love for God, love for each other. But that makes perfect sense if that's God's nature. If that's God's nature, and we're God's image bearers, if we're created in his image, if we were 
brought into relationship with him to reflect his glory to the world, then it makes perfect sense that we are in a loving relationship with God and that that love spills out into a relationship with others. That's who we are as Christians because that's who God is. God is love. Can we say the same about us? The interesting thing is that the only thing that's eternal, I guess, in this world, the only thing that will last forever in this world are us, people. Everything else is going to pass away or be transformed or be renewed or something's going to happen that, that everything else will be rendered unimportant. But each one of us sitting here is eternal. We will spend eternity somewhere. And we'll spend it in a relationship. And that destination, uh, the renewed earth, the new creation, what some people would say is heaven, however you want to say it, that is going to be an existence that is entirely subsumed inside of the nature of God, which is love. So when we love others, all we're doing is just practicing for eternity. That's the destination. That's where we're headed. That's why love is so crucial. It's so important. And that's why people matter. So yeah, love for God, that goes without saying. And that could be a whole other message about, you know, we should love God and here's how you can love God. But what I wanted to focus on is love for people. Because that's the one that we really, if we're honest, if I'm honest, that's the one where I fall short the most. Uh, for me, loving God is, seems at least a lot easier than loving people. Because God doesn't cut me off in traffic. God doesn't gossip about me. God doesn't just grate on my nerves. Um, God doesn't do those things, but people do. So the challenge is, how do I love people? If we go back to the 1 Corinthians, the love passage... One of the things that I said before is that in this passage, love is an action. It's a verb. I mean, look, love is patient. Love is kind. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It's not proud. It's not rude. It's not self-seeking. All of this is described as, as decisions and actions and interactions between people. And that's the, where it begins, is realizing I don't have to like everybody, but I have to love everybody. And what I mean by that is, it's okay for certain things to make me upset, or to make me angry, or to just make, get on my nerves. The Pharisees got on Jesus' nerves, but he still loved them. He still died for them. He didn't like religious hypocrites, but he loved them enough to come and die for them. We don't have to like everybody, and we won't like everybody, because we don't have God's perspective to see into the heart and into the soul and into the mind of every single person we encounter. What we see is what they present to us. And sometimes what they present to us is not pretty. But that's okay, because we don't have to like everybody. We have to love everybody. And if you look at the love that's mentioned in Corinthians, what it boils down to is seeking the highest good for the other person in this case, regardless of the cost. Love is seeking the highest good for the other person, regardless of the cost. And that's what Jesus did with us. And so because he did that with us, then we do that with other people. Yeah, yeah, okay, it's important, it's important, but how do you do that? When I'm really mad and that finger goes up in the air out of the car window, you know, I can't help it. 
Well, I, I don't, that's not my advice, uh, but you know, for some people I know it is because I've been on the receiving end. Uh, <laughs> it's, here's where we have to be really careful because this a message on the fruit of the Spirit, on any of the fruit of the Spirit, but especially on love, could just devolve into a kind of legalistic, just go out and love. But remember how I said there's, some, there's the person who loves, there's the person who is loved, and then there's the act of love that goes on between them? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That's why love is a fruit of the Spirit. Because it, it can only be given by the Spirit. We can only really love in the biblical sense of love if the Holy Spirit is loving through us. We can only truly love, truly, if the Holy Spirit's loving through us. And the cool thing is, Paul wasn't the one who thought up this whole fruit metaphor. Back in the Gospel of John, in John 15, Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Remain in me and you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Paul is just extrapolating on Jesus' teaching. When he said, walk according to the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the works of the flesh are this, 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 and this. Like we saw last week, and the, works of the fruit of the Spirit is this, this, and this. It's, it's all about, a, that John 15 is, it, that could be a whole lesson in itself, but we're not going to go into it. But go home and read John 15, because that's where Jesus lays it out. He says, it is about abiding in me, remaining in me. If you live in me, if everything you do is geared towards me, I'll do the loving for you. The Holy Spirit will love through you if you'll open yourself up and allow him to. So if we can say, Lord, this person is making me so angry, but I know they're created in your image, I know that you love them enough to die for them, and I know that you want me to love them, but I have no idea how. Holy Spirit, do your thing. It's amazing how our perception of the person will change. It's amazing how our actions will change. Um, if we make every decision in our life, every decision, with the underlying principle of how can I show the love of God in this situation? Now, for some, it's easy. If you're standing at the drink fountain and it's Coke or Pepsi, God's like, either one, I don't care. Just make sure you don't overdo it. Um, but when it comes to actually interacting with people, that's where it gets harder. And we really have to be intentional. How can I show the love of God? I hate my boss, Lord. I know I shouldn't, but I hate him. How can I? I don't hate my boss. Talbot's my boss. I like him. Um, he's fine. But if you do hate your boss, uh, you know, it, it, you, can, you can say that. You can cry. You can say, Lord, oh, how do I do this? In fact, if you look in the Old Testament, and there's a book called Psalms. It's right smack in the middle. If you just let your Bible fall open, you'll open the Psalms. Of those Psalms, there are dozens of those that are about, Lord, I hate my enemies, and I want you to enact vengeance on them, but I'm not going to do it because I'm going to trust you. It's this authentic, raw ability to just say, Lord, this is my heart, this is my soul. I want to love. I know I should love, but I can't do it. Help me. And that's when the Holy Spirit takes over and says, you're right, you can't love, but I can. So if you'll just back up and let me do my thing, you'll be amazed at what happens. It's a fruit of the Spirit. It's not something we conjure up. Look up here. What would this look like? Ask yourself, what would it look like? Actually, look up there. Don't look up there. Uh, <laughs> I'll look up there. Uh, 
what would it look like if our lives regularly were characterized by this? If we were patient when we're at the DMV, when we're at the drive-thru, when somebody's standing there in front of us at Salsarita's going, oh, I don't know what I want, what do I want, you know, and, and you're hungry and you're like, come on, hurry up. What would it look like if we were always patient? What would it look like if we were kind? Not just cordial, but actually kind. Like, let me go out of my way to do something for you. Whether it's opening the door, whether it's giving somebody a parking space, whether it's telling somebody, you look nice today. Whether it's, hey, I, it's good to see you. Just kindness in general. What would that look like? What about if we didn't envy? If we were able to rejoice when the other person gets the promotion, the good grade, the recognition, instead of envying it? What if we didn't have to boast and try to make other people see how good we are by us telling them? What if we were able to just let ourselves be who we are in God and people would notice that? What if we weren't proud or rude or self-seeking? If you go through this list, you start to see that if Christians lived by this, the world would be extremely different. If we as Good Shepherd lived by this, Steel Creek would be a different place. If people that worked in, a, let's say, a restaurant, I eat out a lot. I'm a bachelor. I don't have a lot of time. I don't like to cook. Uh, so I'm always eating out. And what I find out is people that work in restaurants, and I used to work in a restaurant as well, they hate serving Christians on Sundays because Christians are horrible tippers. And sometimes Christians will even, instead of leaving a tip that's a decent amount, they'll leave a track as if that does God any favor. Please, don't ever do that. <laughs> if you do, say you're from another church. Uh, no, don't even say you're from a church. Just admit, yeah, this is sinful because I'm a godly atheist. There you go. Uh, you know, don't. My point is that as Christians, even little things, we should be good tippers. If somebody doesn't give us good service at a restaurant, do you think Jesus would tip them less or more? Remember what he said about heaping burning coals? returning evil with good. Think about what kind of people we would be. Think about the reputation. Not that we as just a church, but that people who follow the Lord Jesus would have. Another one that, that caught me was, I don't know how or when or why I got convicted of this, but um, it's kind of funny. Every time I leave a bathroom, I always make sure that it's clean. Because in my head, sometime when I was a kid, I just thought, what if Jesus were the next person that was going to use this toilet? Where does that come from? I don't know. But ever since then, like, I can't leave a bathroom looking nasty. Because you know you hate when you go to Walmart or you go in a truck stop or something and you walk in and you just almost pass out. And you're just like, dear Lord, who brought the septic bazooka in here and just started firing it? And it's, it's horrible. But what if Christians had that reputation? Little things. Little things. Love begins with little things. Yeah, we see something messy. Yeah, clean it up. Why? It's not my job. You're right. But it's loving. There's so many more. There's so, all of the things that we do every day. Um, we don't want to outright show our anger to somebody, so we just be passive aggressive. That's so much more insidious. That's so much more sinful. 
Because you're not only being antagonistic, but you're being deceptively antagonistic. That's from the devil. Talking about people behind their back, tolerating racism. Not saying, well, I'm not racist, but, you know, they are. No, actually go up against that. Be the loving thing and say, you know what? That's just not right. These people are in God's image. I can't let you talk about them. Like, I mean, I can let you, but I can't endorse it or be cool with it. Those are the things that make the changes that generate the awareness among the greater world that God's involved with these people. Their lives are, you know, we always hear that Christians should look different. And it doesn't mean we should wear dumb t-shirts that are rip-offs of corporate companies that just have Christian messages. God's gym and Christ instead of crest. And if you have one of those t-shirts, I'm sorry. I love you. And I'm telling you that in love, that those are dumb. Uh, we don't, we don't, that's not what we need to look different. We don't need our Christian fishes and hats and WWJDs and everything. Those aren't, there's nothing wrong with those. But that's not what Scripture is talking about when it says being a peculiar people, being aliens and exiles in this world. What it's talking about is we return hatred with love. We think the best about people until we are absolutely proven to think otherwise. I hear something about somebody... My first response shouldn't be, oh, I can't believe that. It should be, well, I don't know. That doesn't sound like them, but I'm going to wait until I can, you know, I'm not going to say anything until I know for certain. That's how you stop gossip. That's how you stop factions. That's how you stop division. That's how you stop all of these things that plague even in the church. How many people have been following the Paris Hilton saga? Anybody? Thank you for being honest. The rest of you are probably lying. Um, in case you don't know, Paris Hilton is very rich. And she's famous for being famous. Um, she, she doesn't really do anything other than just be seen. And she's famous for it. Well, she is very rich and got some trouble with the law, with some reckless driving, drunk driving, DUI, everything. Had her license revoked and then ended up driving anyway. And so basically she got sent to jail for 45 days. And five days, in, or maybe five, maybe two, I don't know, just a few days into the sentence, the jail released her because of medical problems. She said her back hurt and it was psychologically pressuring to be in jail and all this stuff. <laughs> Surprise. And, <laughs> and so she got out. Well, I was always, when I check email, it always pulls up the Yahoo homepage and there's always some headlines. And, and every headline was about this. Now, check it people were outraged. They were just, oh, they were like, this is just totally undermining the justice system. And if your daddy owns a bunch of hotels, you don't have to go to jail. And, da -da -da. and people were getting all fired up. And I was too. I was like, what? She got out of jail? You don't get out of jail for a DUI just because your back hurts. You should be in jail for longer. If any, you know, I was getting all, and then when I was preparing this message, I was thinking, love doesn't delight in evil. Love always hopes. Love always trusts. Love always protects. And I was like, oh, man. Even the temptation to enjoy the downfall of others isn't loving. And it doesn't mean that I have to crusade for her to be let out early. No, break the law, serve the time, that's how you do it. And it's not even my concern anyway, but as a society, we, we love the gossip, we love the getting into people's lives, and we love making our own judgments about it. But as Christians, we're called to judge by a different standard. We're called to hold people to the standard of love and the same standard that God showed us. And so once that's in effect, once we start asking, what would it look like if I always protected and always trusted, always hoped, always persevered? 
The last one's pretty neat. That's the NIV translation above you. It says love never fails. Actually, that word in Greek is pipto, and it means to fall. And the underlying meaning is love never falls away, never is destroyed. Some translations say love never ends, but that's not exactly it either. Love never falls away. Love will remain forever because love is eternal because it's God's nature. And so when we love, we are being the truest us we can be, being what God intended. God is love. Can the same thing be said about us? What we're going to do tonight is we're going to celebrate communion. And in the early church, communion was actually called a love feast because the church would come together and they would share their food and they would eat together. Eating together is so biblical. They would share a meal and they would fellowship and, and it was a... It was a way of not just showing love for God because the bread represents the body of Christ, the blood represents the blood of Christ, and in consuming that represents us being right with God, but doing it in fellowship with other people. Love vertical dimension and the horizontal dimension. And that's what communion is. And we're going to celebrate this in a really neat way. We've done it before, um, and with a crowd this size, it's a lot easier to do. We're going to celebrate it by rows. And we're not going to line up and go back. But we're actually going to go as your row, and you're going to go semicircle around the communion servers in the back, and everybody will be given the elements, and then everybody will take communion together. And then as they're coming back, then the next row will go. So we'll be taking communion in small groups. We'll be doing communion in community. Novel idea, huh? The, the elements and, and the uh, communion servers are going to be at the back, so this side you'll be going to the back. We're going to start with the front rows. And we'll go back. So if you're a server, you can go ahead and um, get in your station. The elements have been blessed. They've been prepared. And, and, and communion really does represent the fullest expression of love in a physical, tangible, symbolic way. We are taking God himself into us so that we can show God out from us. So as you take communion, think about that. Also, in Scripture, um, is really clear about not taking communion flippantly or with, with, you know, knowingly in a state of sin. So before you go, take a few moments. Um, make sure that you're not harboring anything or, or actively engaging in something that's not loving. Uh, and, and even if you have to refrain from taking communion right now in order to clear that up later and then come, that's fine. But um, let this be an act of love. So I'm going to pray, and then we'll go by rows, and we'll commune. God, I pray that you would somehow show us what it means to love. Um, the word gets abused and thrown around and cheapened so much. But it's who you are. It's your very nature. You are love. And you created us in your image to be love to other people. And so I pray that we would. I pray that I would. I pray everybody here that we would begin with the little things, with saying hello, with being good tippers at restaurants, with holding doors for people, with um, all of the things, the little things, and then gradually as well, we, in the big things, we would show love. Lord, love through us. You are the one who produces the fruit. All we have to do is abide in you. So I pray that we would as a church and individually. Come visit us through communion. Make your presence real. 
This isn't just a ritual. It's not just a symbol. You are somehow actually present in this. And I pray that we would see that and that we would celebrate. Thank you for loving us first, Lord. Help us to love others and to love you with all our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.